everyone, and welcome to another edition of 50 Stories of Transformation. I'm your host, Michaela Leji, and this week we're on story number four. For this story, I had the pleasure of sitting down and chatting with Pastor Jerome Kuhlman. He's the pastor at the First Baptist Church of Crestmont in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. We got to talk about the awesome transformation work that God is doing through some of their unique ministries that they're doing at First Baptist and how COVID has not slowed them down from reaching their community and still doing some of those ministries. So we're gonna chat about that. We're also gonna talk about some tougher topics. In our nation, uh, currently, there is some major civil unrest being brought to light. Years worth of civil unrest and social issues that need to be discussed. So we're gonna talk about those today and we're gonna also talk about how as Christians, we have those healthy, educational and edifying conversations about such topics. So if you're ready to dig on in, uh, I encourage you to sit back, relax and enjoy the stories that Pastor Coleman's gonna share with us. Pastor Coleman, thank you so much for joining us today and being a part of our 50 Stories of Transformation series. Uh, I wanna start this interview off by just asking you to share a little bit with us about yourself. Uh, how did you get into ministry and how long have you been at First Baptist Church of Crestmont? Wow. So um, I've been at Crestmont for about 13 years now. Um, I was formerly um, a state parole agent, worked for the Board of Probation and Parole for the state of Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, was going to my church and um, doing my job and going about my business when basically the Lord um, tapped me on the shoulder. Um, I wasn't even in church, you know, about 13, 14 years ago. My wife was going to church. She was taking our kids to church, but I wasn't really going to church. I grew up Catholic, um, got tired of the sit, stand, sit, stand, sit, stand, um, and decided that church wasn't really for me. Um, but um, once I married my wife and she started going to church, I started to feel convicted in terms of not going to church, especially um, when my eight-year-old asked me the question about why I wasn't going to church with them. And she said, Daddy, I want to see you in heaven with us. So what do you say to an eight-year-old that's looking up at you, asking you why you're not going to church? And so I um, started going to church and all those things that I did learn in Catholic school because one of the things that does happen when you go to Catholic school, you will learn the Bible plus the extra books. Um, you will know who the 12 apostles are. You will know what every book of the Bible is. And so um, all that foundation was there. Um, but the clarity in terms of who Jesus Christ is started to become crystal clear when I went back to church. And so went back to church, was just excited about starting this relationship with the Lord again, and then um, went from there to teaching Sunday school, to becoming a deacon, to the Lord tapping me to be a pastor, which I denied for like a year, um, but then realized it was really God. And then from there, he worked through me becoming an executive minister at the Bethlehem Baptist Church, where my pastor, Charles Juan Quan, is pastor. And then only being there for less than a year, Crestmont ended up calling, didn't think that I was going to end up um, there because the church we were in at that time, um, we had almost a thousand people a Sunday. So, you know, you get used to that type of atmosphere and then being called to um, 
this smaller church that me and my wife used to joke the youth ministry started at 50. So it, it, it was just really um, my daughters and one other young man that was in Sunday school. Um, but the Lord called us there. We knew he was calling and um, the rest is history. It's been 13 years um, before the pandemic. We had grown from one service to two services averaging about 400 people a Sunday. So um, God has been really good. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the journey. Oh, that's awesome. What a, what a growth, like the <laughs> services. So what kind of being there for 13 years, uh, mm -hmm. what kind of transformative work have you seen God do um, either through the people or through the church as a whole or through you? Oh, wow. It, it's a lot. We, um, we, after six months of being um, at First Baptist, um, the sanctuary caught on fire. So this is a pastor who's there for six months, sanctuary catches on fire. The fire door to the office side was shut. So that part of the church didn't catch on fire, but we come in, everything's burned down. Um, one of the heaters that overheated, it was supposed to cut off, it didn't cut off. Um, so the sanctuary was ruined, but we didn't miss a Sunday because the church down the street, uh, Faith um, Community Church, um, allowed us to worship there. So next Sunday we were there, we were there for almost a year. And so through that transition, it allowed me to do some things that it takes other pastors years to do. Um, when we stood in the middle of that sanctuary, it, we knew that people were devastated because, you know, it's a hundred and ten year old church. So, you know, people's grandfathers, fathers that contributed, built the church. But me and my wife were actually shouting hallelujah in our spirits because we knew what God was doing. We knew that this was a fresh start, it's fire fresh start. And so it allowed me to design the sanctuary the way that I thought it needed to be designed from the, it was dark. It was, we, we lit it up. We put stage lighting in there. We just did a whole bunch of different stuff. And so it forced the congregation to trust me because nobody knew what to do. Um, and so it allowed accelerated growth in terms of that it allowed me to put into our congregation that the one thing that we always have to be ready for is change. And that's difficult in a church. Church, church is getting ruts, just like people do. And so it's allowed us to go from, I don't have to have a vote to change the pews, the chairs. Let me just put it like that. that those kind of things don't happen in our church. I don't have to vote on stuff like that. We just do it. And so that has been a tremendous change in terms of the church. Um, we were online three, four years before the pandemic happened. We were already doing this. So it, it really was no big leap for us to make the virtual change. It was just about improving the presentation, but we were already doing it. So it was a lot of things that we were just allowed to do to go to praise teams, drama ministries, um, dance ministries, just all of those things. It's it's almost like here's pastor again doing something different. So I don't have that fight that a lot of other churches have in terms of that. And I think that's what's helped us to grow. 
And how has that uh, kind of understanding of like change or just like, a, okay, we're doing this. How has that affected your community or your outreach to the community? Um, it, 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 it allows me to, if I sense something or see something to just pick up phones and call people that I know have a heart for stuff and say, listen, I want to do this. What do you think about this? And nine times out of 10, they're on board. So I don't know if this is going to happen. We got contacted by a food distribution center where they're looking for another place to distribute food. Now, they were talking about a thousand boxes a week. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I don't know if we can do that. But I, I said, well, how about 500 boxes a week? And they were like, I think we can do that. So I said, before we say yes, let me just talk to the church. So we just happened to have our church conference on Saturday, um, eight ways that the church needs to prepare to be the post-pandemic church. So they already, now I'm already talking about all the stuff we need to do. And so I brought up the, the food distribution. Well, they're like, all right, Pastor, let's try it. We don't know if we can give away 500 boxes, but let's try as I'm talking about it, people are typing in the chat, I'll volunteer, I'll volunteer, I'll volunteer, I'll volunteer. So now I'm just waiting for them to give us a date. I already got volunteers. And so that's the kind of stuff that I can do. I'm going to say, hey, I want to do this. Do we have anybody that could do it? And the Lord just provides people because I believe all the gifting that the church needs is in the church. And if something is not happening, it's because somebody out there is sitting on their gift. And so um, we've been able to do that kind of stuff. I changed the pulpit two weeks ago. I ain't telling anybody. <laughs> I took the pulpit away. I put a chair. I put a, a table. I'm like, you know, we're changing a presentation. We're not changing a message. Put a table, put a chair, put a green screen. Did that all in one week. Now the whole pulpit area is different. Nobody said anything. It sounds like you have a lot of willing and, and servant-minded people in your church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're awesome. I, I give. They are awesome. They're on board and, and they're excited and they're having meetings now based on the uh, the church conference we had on Tuesday. I mean, on Saturday, in terms of making these changes, and they're talking to each individual ministry about how they're going to contribute or work towards the changes that we know are coming after the pandemic. So what are some of the like more individual ministries that you guys have created in your church? Oh, wow. So we have our, of course, our dance ministry, our drama ministry, our feeding ministry, um, our youth ministry. Uh, we have Sunday school, which is broken up into adult and youth. Um, Ironically, I mean, adult Sunday school before the pandemic had like 70, 80 people, just always packed with, with that. Um, women, we have our women's ministry, women of virtue, our men's ministry, outstanding men of God. Um, so we have though, we have our missions ministry, which more is a giving ministry. We adopted about a decade ago, um, some churches in Nigeria through um, Chosen 300 Ministries. So I've been in Nigeria twice, which has really been a blessing. And um, so we adopted those villages there. So we contribute every year to feed those villages for a year. But we also built a well when we were there. So we built a well. And then a few years later, we built a water tower because you have to come out to the well. But in building a water tower, it distributes the water to the villages. 
So we've been, so those are some of the ministries um, that we're doing now. Uh, this year, we, of course, we did food giveaway because of the pandemic. We did um, diaper formula uh, for, for little kids, for young mothers. We did that kind of giveaway too. And now we're preparing for this food distribution giveaway. We've given away um, Walmart gift cards because we're like, you know, well, everybody doesn't need food per se. What's a place that we can give away that people could just get what they need? So we were able to give away $50 Walmart gift cards to anybody who called. No questions asked. We're not trying to get into all that. That's between you and the Lord. But if you called and you needed one, um, that's what we've done. So those are the ministries. And they're still operating as far as men and women via Zoom. That's been an amazing thing, too. How quickly everybody has adapted or adopted to Zoom has been incredible. So we purchased about 10 Zoom rooms that people can use for their ministry. So they have access to Zoom rooms. They have times that they are assigned and they're doing their ministries, their ministries and meetings via Zoom right now. So it sounds like the, the pandemic didn't really slow you guys down much. You guys like really got on it and like adopted the virtual idea quickly. Yeah, it, it's been amazing. You know, you figure you, you're preaching to about 400 people a Sunday. And now through this, you're reaching like a thousand people, 1500 people a Sunday, sometimes up to 2,800 people, depending, I guess, on the topic, the sermon, the day. So our audiences are, has definitely increased. Well, that's great. Um, never know how God's going to work <laughs> through yeah. virtually or in person. Yeah. Also, 2020, that was the first year that your church got to celebrate and recognize Juneteenth, correct? Yes, yes. What was that like? What did you guys get to do for that? We, we really, what we did was lift it up. We were planning on, or I was planning on doing something a little bit more elaborate this year, but it was more surprisingly educating people about Juneteenth. A lot of people really didn't, even in our church, really didn't know what it was. So it was more of an educational thing. So I kind of did um, a Bible study on it and talked about it from the pulpit to start educating people. And then we were going to adapt it or for this or adopt it for this calendar year coming up. So it's just a matter of thinking how are we going to celebrate it this upcoming year. And staying along with that that topic, because I think I think this question is an opportunity for healthy education and edification. Mm -hmm. um, how has the recent, although it's been an ongoing issue, how has the recent civil unrest and acts of social injustice towards the Black population impacted your ministry? Wow. Um, it's impacted it in, in a, it's caused us to take a, a harder look at things. Um, in our community, we, it's always been this way. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because when Barack Obama was elected president, we saw it as a litmus test for where the heart of the nation really was. We knew just him getting into office wasn't, we've arrived. Um, there are some people who just like to be a part of history and so it wasn't necessarily they voted for Barack Obama because they were looking for this huge change in a the nation. They just wanted to be part of something different. 
And so when Barack Obama became president, um, we kind of chuckled at the people who thought that now we're all equal. It was like, okay, it, like this is the first black president in history. Take a look around at how many black governors there are. Take a look around at how many black senators there are. Do you really think that because we have an African-American president that everything's equal. We knew it was a litmus test for the country. And so really, um, and I guess I don't wanna get too political. The last president was to us was the failure of the nation to really be a nation that embraces equality. We felt like it was a backlash for having an African-American president for the last eight years, that there were some people who felt like because there was a person of a different color and a different approach that they were losing their country. And so Donald Trump to us was the failure of our nation to really embrace all cultures. Um, and so, we just felt like we just had to keep working as hard as we've been working. It's not that we haven't come a long way since the 60s. We haven't come as far as we'd like to believe. And it, it it's disappointing um, for people when you see somebody's knee on somebody's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. It's disappointing to have people ask the first question is, well, what did he do? What? Does that really matter? I don't care what he did, eight minutes and 46 seconds. So it is disappointing. It's disappointing to watch an insurrection happen at the Capitol that nobody was prepared for. But when you look at when the Black Lives Matter movement was marching through the Capitol, how many police were standing on the Capitol steps? And for us, it was just that once again, the manifestation of systemic racism in that you really didn't believe these people were going to go into the Capitol. That's really, and the question becomes, why didn't you believe it? Was it because of the color of their skin? Because y'all had a serious presence when it was Black Lives Matter, but no presence at all. And so this is just, um, we're praying that this new administration and no administration is perfect, that they will really try to bring some type of balance and equality um, in terms of the outlook of people, not just for African-Americans, for the poor. Um, they need a working wage. Anybody who thinks somebody can survive off of $7 and some change an hour is living in la-la land. And I don't understand people fighting against a living wage. I, I, I just can't wrap my brain around that. I can't wrap my brain around young people who are working, but they really are the working poor. They can't afford medical coverage. They got enough to pay their rent or their mortgage to make it there, but they don't have money. Why wouldn't you want them to have universal health care? I, for the life of me, for a country that still claims to be majority Christian, I feel like that when the Lord comes back, he's going, people are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demon, is your name perform many miracles? And he's going to say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, because you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. 
And the greatest way that we see people's heart for God is how they care for people. So that that's where we are right now. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think it's, if I can ask you also, like as Christians, how do we have healthy conversations about this? You know, how do we go about it uh, with whether they're believers or unbelievers, just talking about, you know, some of these touchy topics? Because I don't think it's, I don't think it's smart to ignore it. I think we need to be educated on it. So how mm. do we do that? I think one of the things we need to get away from, and, and I will tell you as, as African-American and the majority of us, we hate labels. We've been labeled for so long. We hate labels. So we need to get away from, well, you're conservative and you're liberal. No, human beings are more dynamic than that. That's what we need to get away from because there may be some areas that I'm conservative and then some areas that I'm liberal in. So we got to stop late. Soon as we label, the conversation stops. If I believe that you are um, a red state person, I don't want to have nothing to do with you. And if you believe I'm a blue state person, I don't want to have, no, you don't want to have nothing to do with me. If you are pro-life or pro-choice, we just start putting people into these labels and categories. The question becomes, okay, you're pro-choice. What do you mean by being pro-choice? Because people hear it and then they assume everything about it. You're pro-life. What do you mean about being pro-life? Because there are people who will argue strongly that many people, not all, who are pro-life are really pro-birth. Because when it comes to life, where's the health care? Where's the living wage? Where's the equality in education? You're saying you're pro-life, but you're really pro-birth because after the birth, what do you have in place to care for the life that's now here? So there's conversations we need to have in terms of definitions. Like when you say this, what do you exactly mean? And that's when I think we can start to have some honest dialogue. And as Christians, I think we need to stop avoiding the continuity of scripture. There are some who now we're New Testament. It's just about evangelizing the lost and winning people for Jesus Christ and waiting for the chariot to swing low to take us home to glory. That's, that's really the only approach they have. But the continuity of scripture suggests to us that the same God who said, take away from me your noisy worship services and your festivals because you are not taking care of the poor. You're not taking care of the widow. Your scales are unjust. You're not leaving the edge of your fields ungleaned for the poor. That's the same God. And so how do we have this discontinuity between the Old and New Testament? The same, if we believe that God is God, then the Christ of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament are one and the same. What I mean by that is this, the God of the Old Testament is always Christ-like. And so if you, you, when you go back at it and look at it through those lenses, the God of the Old Testament is always Christ-like, then now I can start to see what Christ embodied when he said, when the Bible says the word took on flesh. It didn't take, it didn't say the word took on half the word. It, the word took on flesh. So now it forces us to have those conversations if we believe in the continuity of scripture. And we should, because Paul said, all scriptures God breathed. 
Yeah, it's it's um not really an and or it's uh there's both. I mean, Jesus came for the Jews and the Gentiles. <laughs> it's absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, I think one of my final questions is just uh, what's a scripture passage or verse that uh, your church has come back to or just been leaning on or studying on recently? Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. So our theme for this year is just simply trust God because we, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know the one who holds the future. And the tag on that is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. So um, we're excited. We're, we don't know what the future holds, but we know that God's church will always be in existence and always be relevant because it's his church. And so the question becomes, how is God going to use us now in a way that continues to bring him glory and still works to spread the gospel, not just with what we say, but in what we do? And, and I think that, that if we got to move away from this being hearers of the word, not doers of the word. And then sometimes we can be so much doers that we never tell people about the God we've heard about. So, so it's not an either or, it's an and both. Why am I out here doing this food distribution? Why is the church giving away all this food? Well, we're not just giving it away because people are hungry. We're giving it away because we realize there's a bunch of people out here who have empty souls. And so we're going to try our best in giving away this food. We're going to stick information in the box about the church. We're going to tell them God loves you. We're going to tell them bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to do anything we can to start that conversation or get people um, to inquire about the God we know is the only way to salvation. Well, it sounds like you guys have a lot of awesome things planned for this year and it's gonna be really exciting and i bet it's gonna be a lot better than 2020 yeah <laughs> yes 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 that's a weird but whew, i i'm i don't want to say it i don't think it can get any worse <laughs> but hopefully not hopefully uh, i'm not going to prophesy in the name of g that your year is going no i'm not doing any of that i'm hoping that it's going to be better well uh Thank you for your time. Uh, I don't have any other questions, but if you have any comments or thoughts or anything else you want to share, any like church member testimonies about God's transformative work or anything else you want to share, please feel free. No, I, I, I really appreciate you and, and BRM thinking of us. Um, you know, you, you go about your business for the Lord and you don't do it for recognition, um, but everybody needs appreciation. And, and, and I think that just to think of First Baptist Church of Crestmont um, and things that we're doing, um, it's an incredible honor um, for us. Um, and one of the things that we, and I hope people hear this the right way, one of the things that we are praying for in our church is that kind of light to shine on us, not because we think we're better than any other church, but is when Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. We really think that there are things that 
First Baptist uniquely has to offer to the Baptist Resource Network, um, to the SBC that um, we believe can bless people. So we we don't hold anything back that we're doing. When people are asking us, well, how are you doing this? And how is, how is this happening? It's like when you, you, know, you ask a person for the recipe for their pie and they hold back just that one ingredient that makes theirs taste better. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> Whatever you ask us is what we're willing to offer. So I appreciate this because we, we really believe that God has a unique thing that he's doing at First Baptist, just like he's doing at every other church, the uniqueness of personality in all of our churches. And we're just glad to have the opportunity to contribute. Well, Pastor Coleman, thank you so much for joining us this week and for sharing with us the transformation work that God is doing through your church and through your many ministries. I also thank you for sitting down and having some of those tougher conversations with us, addressing some of the social issues going on in our country and uh, walking us through how we as Christians should be having those conversations. If you'd like to find out more about Pastor Coleman and his church and the ministries they're doing, head on over to one, as in number one, bcc.org. There you can access their live stream as well as keep up to date with the ministries that they're doing and how their community is doing. Again, that is one, bcc.org. And while you're online, might as well head on over to the BRN's website, www.brnunited.org. There you can access the article form of this story, along with all of the other transformation stories that we've done up to this point. Again, those are available at www.brnunited.org. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in this week. I look forward to bringing you another transformation story next week.